Welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I am Jeff Kanata, and with me are... Devendra Hardwar. And Christy Pachko. And you may be wondering where Dave Chen is, our usual co-host. He has the week off, and uh, we're going to start doing that from now on. Maybe perhaps rotate in and out now that we have four official members of the podcast. And so Dave is taking the night off, but that's okay. We have lots to talk about in his absence, including a full review of Call Me By Your Name, one of the films that is currently nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards, as well as sort of a uh, secret second full review-ish of- Surprise. uh, (laughs) Of the Cloverfield Paradox. Yeah, we didn't tell you it was gonna happen. It's just happening uh, immediately after the Super Bowl. Because that's Um, the world we live in now, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Super Bowl being uh, the first half of our podcast. Anyway, um, <laughs> we'll also be talking about what we've been watching this week. So we have a jam-packed show for you. But I want to start with um, some feedback from last week's episode. Uh, you can always send feedback to the show at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. We welcome your emails, your comments, your suggestions. And last week was the official first full-time episode from Christy and with Christy as part of the team. And we got an overwhelming amount of positive feedback. So, so much. Christy, everybody loves that you're, you're officially a, a full-fledged co-host now. Yeah. It's been a, a nice warm embrace from the fans. So thanks everybody. <laughs> and several people sent in lists of uh, British comedies for you to check so out. So many. <laughs> I'm I like I've been like favoriting them all because I need to like I've been I I had like work stuff I had to watch this week but I've been bookmarking because I'm like I'm gonna track stuff down so I'm very excited. Very very generous of our audience to uh, to send lists of fun British comedies and I'm sure you'll report back as you watch them as to which Absolutely. ones you're enjoying. Awesome. Uh, we also got this email. This comes from Isaac from New York City and uh, it tickled me and I wanted to read it. He says, "Hey all." Love the addition of Christy to the podcast. She provides a perspective that I often hadn't considered and brings a lot of great energy as well. Unfortunately, last night, I was struck by a bout of food poisoning or a stomach virus. This is probably TMI, but whenever I need to bow down before the porcelain throne and wretch, I play a podcast next to me. It helps distract me from what's about to happen. So last night, I was happy to see your Phantom Thread episode appear near my feed, I couldn't think of a more appropriate podcast for my situation. (laughs) So no spoilers for that episode, but uh, I think anybody that knows uh, understands what he's talking about. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, this is is hilarious that he can actually play a podcast like in the midst of uh, retching, you know, his. Yeah. 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 You're like, hang on a second. (laughs) Just wait. Just wait. Stomach. Yeah. That's impressive. (laughs) And secondly, it happens often enough that he like has a routine (laughs) He like has a he has oh, a modus operandi. Oh man, that's sad to me. Uh, but I guess you know that's our that's our new uh, target demo is yes. people throwing up. Please take so. care of yourself. Yes. Usually we're the reason that people are throwing up. So I finally... appreciate if people are listening in good health or bad. So yeah. thanks, Isaac. Yes. <laughs> awesome. And again, you can send your emails, uh, hopefully in in a more healthy state, to slashfilmcast at gmail dot com. All right, we've been all been watching a lot of stuff. Uh, Devendra, why don't you kick things off with uh, what you've been watching this week? Sure. Uh, you know, the, the, the thing I really want to bring up now is a show I haven't heard too much about, and that is Counterpart, the new show on Stars. 
uh, created by Justin. The Martin. reason you haven't heard much about it is because yes. it's on stars. It's on stars. <laughs> yes. And also, I just don't know if there's much uh, publicity for this thing. It's just really weird, and especially given like, I don't know, the Twitter accounts I follow and everything. I, I think I'd hear more of it. Uh, this is a star show created by Justin Marks, uh, who wrote the uh, recent Jungle Book movie. And uh, this show is just, it's such a great concept. It's like a mixture of a John Le Carré novel uh, meets Fringe or even something like Another Earth. Uh, the basic concept is that sometime during the 1970s, uh, in, a, in a building in Berlin, a doorway opened up into a parallel universe where everything is the same as it is, you know, in our universe, but, you know, maybe just slightly different. And the story centers on uh, the character played by J.K. Simmons. And this is just a great show for him because he gets to play two roles. One of them, he's like a bookish uh, paper. Yeah, he's he's like the guy from Brazil, just like one of those paper pushers, not really high up in this uh agency he's working for he doesn't even really know what it does but he's just kind of like a meek guy who's been in the same job for 30 years and can't get a promotion and then uh, this is a big conceit so it's not a not a twist or anything but he ends up meeting his counterpart from the other universe and his counterpart is like a badass special ops guy like jk simmons showing off the guns that he's been building since whiplash i don't know if you guys have seen those photos uh but since whiplash he has just kept up his uh, his muscle work. Yeah, and, I remember because yeah. like it came out before Justice League, like photos of him working out. We're like, what is Commissioner Gordon going to yes. be doing in Justice League? And the answer was paperwork. Paperwork and nothing. Wearing a very heavy coat, hiding yeah. his massive. They boots. had to hide them because, like, <laughs> yeah, J.K. Simmons, you're not expecting it, but he is ripped to the gods. He is. He's a surprisingly ripped. But uh, you know, that's the basic conceit of the show. Uh, so between that, like, it mixes all sorts of things, like. Uh, it is kind of a slow burn thriller, but there's also a decent amount of action uh, because uh, the the big thing happening is a uh, like a notorious assassin from the other world has jumped over to our world and is taking out people. And the uh, badass J.K. Simmons has to team up with the nebbish J.K. Simmons to kind of put a stop to her. And uh, yeah, it's also a young girl or like a youngish looking girl who's also this killer assassin. So like just amazing characters i think the action is really well done it's really well written and i just love this world because it takes place in berlin it has a great feel of like a something like tinker Tailor soldier spy but with the bit of the like action and adrenaline from something like 24 or fringe uh i think you'd really like this uh jeff because uh, jk simmons really gets to shine here uh but it's mm. also just a really intriguing spy thriller with a bit of sci-fi thrown in I don't even know how Stars works. Is it been a week to week <laughs> release, or is it all at once, like Netflix and Amazon? It's, like how? The, uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's week to week, uh, and this is only a six episode series. And Stars. So is it done now? Is it all out? It's not done. I think it's on like the second or third episode at this point. Ah, um, okay. But yeah, this thing landed. There were actually a couple of reviews uh, in places like the New York Times. I just missed them, and there was really wasn't much buzz among like the TV connoisseur crowd. Um, you know, the, like the people we follow on Twitter and stuff like that. I was yeah. just surprised by all that. It is a genuinely good show. It looks great. The, it's really well written. Um, check it out. Uh, and you can also access stars pretty easily. Like you could subscribe to the app uh, through like the Apple TV and a couple of other services. But if you have Amazon Prime, you can also just add it to your channels for like, uh, I think, seven or eight bucks a month. Uh, it's not hmm. very much. It's worth it for some of the shows they have. And this show is good enough that I would say, you know, just check it out. It's worth subscribing for that. 
Uh, Do their shows ever come to streaming services like uh, Amazon Prime or Netflix after their runs? Yeah, I mean, Spartacus was on Netflix for a while. I don't know where that went, but Spartacus was the other big star show, uh, which I really loved. Nobody saw that show because nobody really had access to stars, unfortunately, a couple of years ago. Um, But yeah, that ended up on Netflix. I'm not sure if they have any deals at this point anywhere else. Uh, I I would just say it's worth checking out however you can get to it. Uh, Counterpart is quite good. Cool. Mm-hmm. So what else have you been watching? Uh, also, I briefly want to talk about this like uh, independent Chinese animated film I saw called Have a Nice Day. Um, it's going around. Uh, I, I think it's in limited release right now. You can find it in a couple theaters. It's directed and written by Jian Lu, who I believe just drew the entire thing. So like all the background mm-hmm. work, all the character work, it's, uh, it's all his stuff. And it's sort of like a Coen Brothers story of like a lowly guy who works for a gangster, steals a bag of money, and uh, you know, things things go bad. Uh, a series of events happens. It's kind of funny and kind of gross and violent. Um, I really like this film. Uh, the style is really interesting. It's not a very fluid animation style, but it's really unique, and I think it just looks uh, cool. <laughs> you know, it looks really good if you're seeing it in a theater. I just like to support uh, traditionally animated movies when they hit theaters anyway. Uh, mm-hmm. It's worth watching. It's it's kind of like a mixture of Coen Brothers meets John Woo, maybe. Uh, although not with like the adrenaline you'd find in a John Woo movie. There aren't any major shootouts, but there are some great sequences that are kind of cool and inventive. So worth checking out. And I'm sure it's going to be available for streaming soon. But if you can see it in theaters, I think it's worth it. Just the animation style is really cool and detailed. Um, you could tell a lot of work went into this movie. And that's Have a Nice Day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously playing in New York, is it just sort of limited release at this point? I think it's limited release. I'm not sure. I see it popping in a couple more theaters here in New York. It used to actually just be in one uh, in the Angelica, and now it's in a couple of places. So um, you know, check if you're in a major city um, or keep an eye out for On Demand. Yep. And uh, also you've been watching a show that I've been very curious about mm-hmm. uh, on Netflix, right? Altered Carbon? Altered Carbon, yeah. This is the new show that sort of, if you've seen the trailers, it basically looks like Blade Runner. It's like Netflix yeah. just wants a Blade Runner. And honestly, there there is a lot of that. Like there's a lot of dirty cityscape. There's a lot of rain. There are a lot of clear umbrellas. Like the clear production design of, of uh, Blade Runner is here. Um, but I also think it uh, it kind of... If I imagine what a Blade Runner TV show would be like, I think this is pretty much it. Because uh, it gives us a deeper sense of this world, um, of a kind of a dirty future where there is even a greater class disparity. Um, the main conceit of this show is that we have figured out a way to store people's consciousnesses. Uh, you store your consciousness in like a disc at the base of your neck. And uh, if you die, assuming that thing hasn't been destroyed... Uh, you could take that disc and put it in another body and, uh, you know, you're up and running again. So there's this whole idea. Sweet. Yeah. There's this idea that, yeah, you can't really die uh, except when it when it comes to, like, you know, people, normal people who may not have much money or even, like, middle class folks, they can't always afford to, like, reboot into a good body. Sometimes you'll just have to take what you can get. Meanwhile, the super rich are, like, hoarding all the great bodies, and some people have even figured out ways to, like, basically live forever with clones of themselves. It's it's kind of crazy, and the super rich live in, like, uh, crazy super scrapers that are above the cloud line. Um, a lot of really interesting sci-fi concepts here. I really enjoy the show. I don't think it's always very well written, but 
it is a nice bit of a pulpy sci-fi noir. I think Joel Kinnaman is very good at uh, being this uh, hard-boiled noir detective. He is a former terrorist who's rebooted into uh, a body and basically tasked to like solve a murder of a guy who's actually still alive. Uh, it's a rich guy who was murdered, and he just wants to figure out how he was murdered. But he still exists because his consciousness was put back into another body. It's all kind of confusing. Um, but I, I really dig it. Like the concepts are interesting. Uh, it brings up the ideas of like, uh, VR prisons and VR torture, because if we have our consciousness stored in these digital forms, uh, all sorts of crazy shit could happen, uh, when yeah. you're not in a body, uh, lots of great themes. It looks amazing. Joel Kinnaman is very good in this. Um, James Purfoy is, uh, you know, from Rome. He's the main rich snobbish asshole who, uh, hires, uh, Joel Kinnaman's character, I'm digging a lot of things in the show. Um, one thing that kind of bothered me at the beginning is uh, Joel Kinnaman's character, Takeshi Kovacs. Um, he is a guy, you know, he's Asian when we're introduced to him in the show. And he's killed and he's brought back into the body of Joel Kinnaman, who is a very good looking man, but a very you know good looking white man. And it is some clear like racial movement going around there like there's some clear racial appropriation happening i think the show mm -hmm. tends to balance it out uh because it does give us enough of what's happening in the past to like who this guy is as takashi kovacs i wish it would comment more directly on the fact that hey uh it is kind of weird i'm no longer my race or something like that i don't think the right. show ever mm -hmm. directly addresses it but it does give like several episodes worth of backstory to uh former bodies of Takashi Kovacs where he actually is Asian so something I'm still working on like just trying to figure out how the show is handling it uh, I'm about six episodes in um it doesn't feel as bad as the whole ghost in the shell situation uh but I don't know if it feels great either I think it's just something they had to do because it was in the books um so yeah I'm still kind of mulling through that but overall a good experience although yet another example of a show that doesn't know how to handle sex scenes uh, every <laughs> sex scene in the show is basically a porn shoot and it's kind of hilarious so the show you know it, it is a lot of fun it is kind of like pulpy fun so i think the sex scenes kind of work in that vein uh but it's worth watching it's not like the best thing in the world but it's a lot of fun one of my classmates from college is uh in this show so I'm, i've been very oh, really? anxious to see it yeah yeah um and I actually started reading the first book years ago, and I never mm -hmm. never finished it. But um, yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see that. I've heard very mixed things, so I'm glad to hear you're you're positive on it. Yeah, it's honestly it just scratches my particular itches. Like this, you know, this thing is it's noir, it's sci-fi noir, and it's hard boiled in a way that doesn't feel overwrought. And it's introducing new concepts that we should probably be thinking about now because the idea of storing your consciousness somewhere could be something that happens in our lifetimes or in our children's lifetimes so yeah. yeah i'm just intrigued by all this stuff very cool again that's altered carbon and it is on netflix mm -hmm. christy how about you what have you been watching this week i'm gonna totally change gear <laughs> <laughs> i think it's basically the same thing sure yeah no this is super similar so i've seen <laughs> peter rabbit very sexy um yes <laughs> it's super well, okay so here's the crazy thing i have been, uh, I I volunteered to review Peter Rabbit for Pajiba because our 
commenters have been losing their minds about the trailers because <laughs> in America, the trailers are horrible. Yeah, yeah. They are just obnoxious and loud. And it's just people that love Beatrix Potter are like offended by them and being like, what is this? And it's very confusing. And our readers have been just like banging the gong. And like for a while, they kept demanding to know which of our reviewers was going to review the movie because Pajiba were kind of known for takedowns. I mean, it's not all we do. <laughs> But we we really do love to write a scathing piece, so sometimes that's fun. And you I actually to, you were gonna murder Peter Rabbit. <laughs> I mean, no. Here's my thing though. I volunteered for this movie because I like the director. Will Gluck did Easy A and Friends with Benefits and Annie. Oh yeah. And yeah. <laughs> I really like Easy A and Friends with Benefits. I actually talked about Friends with Benefits on one of the guest spots I did with you guys. I don't remember mm -hmm. why. Mm -hmm. I bring up, you know, <laughs> that movie whenever I can. Apparently. But um, but it I I really like the way he takes typically like a rom com convention or like in the case of EZA like the teen rom com convention, and turns it on its head slightly and makes them really fun. So, I was hopeful that I would enjoy Peter Rabbit. I was optimistic, but all the marketing seemed to be flying in my face and mm -hmm. just trying to drown my enthusiasm like a rabbit in a bathtub, <laughs> and that was all very alarming. But I saw it last weekend. And it's actually really funny and very smart. And to my surprise, it's a rom-com. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So here's the thing. The trailers want to focus very much on, like, Peter Rabbit being wild and having adventures. And that is, like, the main plot. But it's kind of like, I explained it in my review for Pajaya like a Trojan horse. Where the story is outwardly Peter Rabbit's story. And it does actually, there's, like, a flashback sort of to like the story before the people know about his father and all of that and whatever. But this story picks up with um, him still fighting Farmer McGregor. And then very quickly, Farmer, Farmer McGregor, Mr. McGregor played by Sam Neill drops over dead, just has a heart attack, heals over in the garden. And so when he is carted off by the quote unquote ice cream truck with the lights, meaning an ambulance, <laughs> Um, all of the animals basically storm the garden and run into his house and have a house party. And that's what you see in a lot of the trailers. And then his very uptight nephew is called in to like inherit the land and he faces off with Peter. Now where things get interesting are, is that um, across the way, the little dirt path lives B who is a painter who loves the animals and who like likes to make paintings of Peter and his sisters. And, um, she's kind of at odds with this guy because they get along and the guy, the young Mr. McGregor is played by uh, Donal Gleason and Rose Byrne plays B and they actually start to fall in love. But there's this conflict because Peter doesn't want them together because to him, B is a sort of a mother figure. So it's like this new, like potential stepdad is showing up and he's not into it. And it actually becomes a really interesting kind of problem child scenario um, that I fell for. Like Donald Gleason is so funny in it because he gives himself completely to the comedy in this movie, which includes him being shot across a room like Home Alone style, which includes like him doing the sideshow Bob thing where like the, he keeps stepping on rakes that hit him in the face. <laughs> and it's actually really funny. And then there's all these subtler moments of comedy where they subvert like traditional kind of moments in comedy. And that's kind of harder to explain because it's it's like setting up the joke and then paying it off in a way you don't expect. And I can explain it, but it's never funny to hear someone explain a joke. But my thing is, Peter Rabbit is actually very sweet. Kids in the audience liked it because 
yeah, because there's, you know, Peter being silly and, and Peter running around and Peter quipping and making jokes and whatever. And that's all fine. Like, that's good and fun. And James Corden and the voice cast is really fun. Daisy Ridley plays, like, Cottontail, who is just, like, a little daredevil rabbit. And that's all cute and totally adorable. But I was really taken in by this weird love story about this, like, <laughs> painter lady who just really loves rabbits and this guy who is so uptight that like I couldn't help but relate to him a little bit. Like there's he is just... in the trailers, he is like a cartoon of an uptight yeah. person who just can't can't <laughs> see any love in these adorable little bunnies and other animals. So I found that kind of hilarious. Just yeah, and we like, know Donald Gleason now. Yeah, you get it. Where it's like at one point, like he's trying to for the woman trying to seem calm, and he's mm-hmm. trying to do this yoga pose to to seem calm. But what she can't see is right out of her eye line. The rabbits are pelting him with berries and like <laughs> vegetables. And I just, it just felt like, I, I felt like I understood that sense where you're trying to be cool, but like the world just is hammering you. And I thought it was really funny. And like, there's just so many little bits in it that are really great. And I would say that if you go stay through the credits, cause it's not like there's after credit sequence exactly, but there's like some bonus bits in the, in the credits that are really fun, but it's actually a very sweet and funny story that is traditional in some respects, but does have fun and kind of amp up the energy of the typical Beatrix Potter stuff. And I don't know. I thought it was really fun, and I'm kind of astonished the Rotten Tomatoes score. Mm-hmm. I've been kind of tracking it because it keeps going from fresh to rotten and fresh to rotten because <laughs> it's on that like precipice where it's like every review is shifting the scale. Um, but I think it's really cute. I, I you know I I hesitate to compare it to Paddington because I think Paddington and especially Paddington Two are better movies. But it's really fun and very sweet. And I think if you like DZA and you like Friends with Benefits, and even if you like Paddington, you'll you'll enjoy Peter Rabbit. It's a really funny, silly movie. Well, we know that Donald Gleason can do comedy because we saw The Last Jedi. Yeah. I mean, he, that's it. It's he like, said <laughs> trolling the audience. <laughs> I know that you're. I know you are. But the thing is, like, Last Jedi is like him going kind of broad, right? This is like him going like full rom com hero in it, and like. Doing all the slapstick yeah. stuff is but you usually can't stand those wascally wabbits. Yeah. Yeah. And it sounds like <laughs> it's too much. Like, I know it sounds really dumb. But it's actually just, I love that it, everybody in this movie really embraced the concept and ran with it. And it's allowed mm. to be such a joyful, silly movie. And where like it's basically like a guy fighting with a tiny little rabbit yeah. in a blue jacket. This like, what happens like, when, uh-huh. what happens when every kid's movie is actually not terrible? How, how, what what world is that? Parents will be happy. Yeah, we have disposable... so coming up, so there's no doubt that's that we're, we've still got time. Yeah, I we don't guess. Have to that's true. about that yet. Yeah, but, this but all these like, ones that look like they're so people? disposable look uh, they, they turn out to be actually really decent and well made. I mean, we we don't have too many of those. It's mainly been Paddington. Like, <laughs> yeah, mainly yeah, it's Paddington. Just the past yeah. month, we've gotten two good kids movies. Yeah. And this one, like, this sounds like something I'd watch on Netflix when I'm looking for a cute little, like, English story of some kind. Yeah, totally. I would watch this over and over. It was just really just delightful and fun. And and there's just so many little jokes in it that cracked me up. And I want to watch it again and see what else I can catch because it's just, like, I really want to explain the setups. But again, it's like if I explain to you, like, you know how in typically rom-coms this and this and this happens. Like, it's just funnier to watch it and see the way they play with it. Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. So that's Peter Rabbit, and it's in theaters now. Uh, what else is on your Friday? It opens Friday. Oh, sorry. It mm-hmm. opens Friday. Um... Yeah, sorry. I saw it over the weekend at a press screening. Uh, the other thing I saw is in theaters now, and I just want to warn you all because it's awful. Uh, I saw Winchester. <laughs> Aww. Yeah. Man. So 
they weren't even screening that for press, which is rarely a good sign. Um, and it's really frustrating. Sometimes they don't do that for horror movies because they feel like they don't need critics, quote mm-hmm. unquote. Um, but I review a lot of horror stuff. So I tend to get at least like a screening link or something like a little peek behind the curtain. Like usually people want me to see their horror movies because I like horror movies. And I really love the story of the Winchester Mystery House. How versed on this are you guys? Oh, I, I grew up in the Bay Area, so I ah, I, so, I know it intimately, have, have been there been? multiple times. Yeah. Okay, so just a quick catch-up for the audience. The Winchester Mystery House was built by Sarah Winchester, who is the widow of a man whose father, like, founded the Winchester Repeating Arms Company, which built the Winchester Rifle, which is known as the gun that won the West. Also, another one of the rifles was very instrumental in the Civil War. A lot of the Northerners used it, so that means a lot of Confederates died because of the Winchesters. Now, because of all of this, Sarah Winchester, once her husband died, got into a very dark space. And it's said (laughs) that she went to a medium who told her the reason her husband died and the the reason that her daughter had died in infancy, which is a super sad story, but the reason that happened was because they are cursed. Because of the blood money their family subsides on, these ghosts of the dead people killed by Winchesters are coming after her. So according to the medium, she had to build a house to, to, to please the spirits. And according to the story, again, a lot of this is folklore. It's kind of hard to pick apart what might be real. But according to the story, she had to always have the house under construction. 24 yeah, hours if the, a day. If the house was ever done being built, she would die. Yes, that's part of the story. So for the 38 years she lived in that house, there was always construction going on. The movie takes place in 1906, which is well before she passes away. So, so also, it's more more than the just construction going on. It's not like there was just perpetual construction. It was senseless, insane construction. It was yeah. building for the sake of building with no plan or rhyme or reason. There are well, see, stairways. There, because like, it seems like there's no rhyme or reason, but that's kind of the whole argument of why did she do the things she did? Because there are stairways that lead directly to the ceiling, like no door, no exit, just right to the ceiling. And then there's like a door that opens on the second floor that opens outside. So if you go out that door, you are going to fall 10 story, like 10 feet. You know, that's just, there's all these weird things in the house. There's secret passages. There's all these amazing spider windows. And there's a lot of theories about why these things are the way they are. And I, I really like all the kind of theories and the stories about this house and think that Sarah's a very fascinating character. What's very infuriating about Winchester is it doesn't actually give a fuck about any of that. Like, it pays lip <laughs> service. And they actually shot on location for part of it. But they, they pay lip service and they show you some of the weird details in the house and stuff. And, like, but she's not the main character. They invented this other character played by Jason Clark, And he's, like, a junkie doctor who's, like, snorting laudlum and, not laudanum and hiring prostitutes. And, like, then he goes to basically, he's basically paid off by her company to say she's crazy so that she won't, like be involved in the business anymore because she wants to make roller skates dude i have no idea why that's where we're going like i don't know to be fair i don't know if sarah winchester tried to invent roller skates that was not in anything i'd ever read but i'm not saying it didn't happen because i didn't check that part out but what was frustrating is you had this interesting house you had this interesting woman and the movie chooses to just pick a random dude and make it his story and then they just affix on all this mythos that feels so been there done that and the result is just a completely mediocre movie that is infuriating because it had such interesting source material mm-hmm. it's it's kind of, it's sad too because i really like the spirit brothers uh we reviewed um was it predestination their time travel one that is super cool and they also did uh that vampire movie too the one with ethan hawk 
whose name I'm forgetting now, but I really enjoyed that. So a shame that they've had this and Jigsaw recently. These are their big mainstream entries, and man, so sad. And I think Erin's in this, and it's Mm -hmm. so weird, because she's, in theory, great, right? But, like, they keep doing this thing where they keep using soft focus on her, which I have not seen soft focus this blatant since the 80s. And I don't (laughs) understand why they're doing it. Like, for those that are listening that don't follow soft focus was typically using used in movies to make women look softer and gentler it softened their features um on tv in the 80s it wasn't as bad because Mm -hmm. we didn't have the high quality we have now so it was just something that was subtle but like if you watch moonlighting on dvd now it's so distracting (laughs) and that's what happens in this movie it's like every time they cut from jason clark who is in sharp focus to helen mirren I kept blinking because I was just like, what is happening? Why can't I focus on her face? And what sucks is one, she's not like, one, it's not like they're doing it for beauty or Mm -hmm. that any sense of it makes sense because Helen Mirren is playing a 66 year old widow who is basically weird and misunderstood and scary. Like she doesn't need to be hot. Also she's Helen Mirren. So she's gorgeous anyway. And like, even if they're trying to make her seem slightly younger because she's 72 and the character is 66, mm-hmm. she still looks amazing for 72. <laughs> so it's stupid. Like, any reason I tried to understand why they did this, I could not figure out. And what ends up happening is that it cuts away from actually being able to see her face. Her eyes are out of focus. Her mouth is out of focus. And so her performance is undercut by this bizarre, at least sexist choice in cinematography. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, huh. also from what I've heard, like, it's just a pretty generic horror movie i guess too like wildly generic thing. like you yeah. you've definitely seen this movie it's just not been set in a historical location Ugh. well i can say if you have a chance to go to the winchester mystery house it is quite quite an interesting tour mm-hmm. uh, i'm so envious it's in san jose and like oh yeah especially if you're 10 <laughs> yeah creep e um awesome so that's winchester is that uh currently it's in theaters now. yeah all right, but avoid it. Yeah, it won't be there for long. Yeah, sounds yeah. like. Um, so I've been watching a, a few things that we've all been watching. Mm-hmm. So we'll, we'll open this up. Um, we have a full episode coming uh, uh, for Black Panther, but all three of us have seen Black Panther already, mm-hmm. and uh, so I thought we we could mention it briefly. Um, I think it's an excellent, excellent movie. Uh, really, something different from Marvel. And I think uh, really inspiring and fun, has some incredible action sequences. And it gets to be both Batman, James Bond, and yeah, yeah. Game of Thrones at the same time. A little, you know, little it, bit of Shakespeare in there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It gets to be like sword and sorcery almost, but also <laughs> cool gadget future guy at the same time, which is a, a really fun twist on both of those genres. Um, I have a little nitpicks that we'll probably talk about in our mm-hmm. full review of it in a future date. But um, did you guys agree that it's uh, oh, yeah. worth seeing? Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah definitely totally. worth seeing. Uh, I loved it. Uh, everything you said is true, Jeff. Uh, one thing I also really want to mention, too, is that I think this is the most mainstream example we've seen of Afrofuturism. You know, the idea that you could see stories about technology and like high end, you know, crazy stuff happening in the future uh, centered in Africa about African people. And I think. This movie uh, definitely, you know, gets there. This is a, such a great public platform for that. So I can't wait to see what people say about this once they see it. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. What I like so much about it is that with the MCU, we kind of keep falling into the same beats and settings again mm-hmm. and again because we're going to end up at, you know, Stark, at, like at Tony Stark's house. We're going to end up at S.H.I.E.L.D.'s base or whatever. And I know some of these places have been destroyed since then. But it's like there's like touchstones. And in this 
we get to discover Wakanda and like I really love the way Ryan Coogler it like shows this whole world and the film relates to the MCU in ways that have been set up in Captain America Civil War but more importantly it's a really beautifully self-contained story Mm -hmm. that I was just completely riveted by because I think the characters are masterfully shaped. I agree, and uh, if you thought the soundtrack to the Guardians of the Galaxy movies couldn't be topped, <laughs> I think this one gives it a run for its money because the 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 soundtrack, the music, the score, all of it is phenomenal in this movie. Mm-hmm. So, uh, big thumbs up for us uh, for Black Panther, and again, we'll be doing a full episode on it with spoilers and everything uh, coming soon. Uh, I also want to mention that my own personal pet favorite comedy right now is back it's called the detour it's on tbs this is season three that's just beginning if you haven't watched this show please give it a shot it is so funny and so inventive and has gone completely off the rails the first season starts with a very very straightforward premise that you would could infer from the title that it's a family going on a cross-country trip and they take a detour or forced to take a detour uh, and then it seemed like, well, they got a season two. Well, we can't just do that again. And so they just went completely bonkers. And it's great. Season two is amazing. Season three continues that tradition of just going crazy. And it's so funny and so fun. My only criticism is, my God, the TBS app is garbage. <laughs> garbage. They could oh, not man. make this thing harder to watch, which is really frustrating for cord cutters like myself. Mm-hmm. But um, they have – a history of, of bringing the show to iTunes and all kinds of other platforms after it's finished its, its, uh, network run. So if you haven't watched detour, you have two seasons to work through before you get to the the one that's currently airing. But uh, if you're a fan like me, uh, season three is, is back and it's, it's equally as wonderful as you remember. Yeah. A good alternative to that app, by the way, is if you, uh, I know you're a cord cutter, Jeff, but if you pay a little bit for something like sling TV, which gets you back in the cord, but in a slightly less uh, restrictive way, um, they do make a lot of those shows available on demand in there too. So that's actually mm. the way I've been doing it. And a lot of TBS shows, like a Search Party, is there. Uh, I feel like people aren't really watching these shows because it's within TBS, and you know, yeah. they're just not as widely promoted as some other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, worth if you have Sling TV, look at their on demand selection there because you can easily catch up on a lot of these shows. And actually, speaking yeah. of, um, I just wanted to throw a shout out for. Uh, corporate that new show on comedy central which is it good is, it is so good but it's also so good and so real it will crush your soul because that's what it, i heard is really dark it's really <laughs> dark but i think in a way that it, it, it's sort of like the logical uh i think progression of something like office space it is the same sort of like frustrations of being stuck in an office and working a soulless job except uh, we follow two like uh, junior level executives. So it's not like we're following lowly people or even worker drones. Um, but it's uh, it's pretty dark. And some of it also rings true because I, I work in a big corporate office sometimes. Um, and uh, even even though I don't do a straight up uh, normal corporate job, I can relate to certain things. But it has a great cast and it's really well written. Um, a partner in Antarla who's been in a whole bunch of things lately is yeah, in this too. She's great. She is she, she's sort of like the one bubbly personality in a show filled with like ruthless, crazy assholes. Uh, <laughs> I think it's it's a lot of fun. So worth checking it's out. not that's not the term that comes to mind when I think of her <laughs> bubbly. But uh, <laughs> Oh that's yeah. Funny. It's really funny. Um 
That's wonderful. My wife and I recently uh, went on a, a kick. We, we've been marathoning You're the Worst, oh, yeah. which uh, we, yep. we, we find very good, but also super dark. Uh-huh. And um, at a certain point, we're like, we just got to take a break and watch something else. because Yeah, it's, you got to break so that up. Woof. And so I went over and I was like, you know, I heard good things about this show Casual. I'll give that a <laughs> shot. Well, we watched the pilot, and I was like, oh, my God, it just got darker. Yeah. <laughs> Things got even darker. Yeah. You so. know, Lovesick is back, Jeff. Just go watch that. Lovesick is great. Yeah. Slash yeah, Squirtle Recall slash the better title. Yeah. And now for our review of the Cloverfield Paradox. Possible earthquake here at the Statue of Liberty. Looks like you should have left town a little bit earlier. <laughs> doing stop we have all watched the third cloverfield franchise film which i'm sure you all listening know uh, was a surprise release on netflix immediately following the super bowl there was a trailer during the super bowl that said coming very soon, and then another one that said available immediately after the Super Bowl. So uh-huh. uh, I finished watching the Super Bowl and uh, went right over. I got all excited and and started it up on Netflix and watched it. Um, first of all, before we even get into the movie, which we'll sort of – we'll try to talk about as spoiler-free as possible, but this one's very difficult to talk about without spoilers, um, as all the Cloverfield, J.J. Abrams mystery box <laughs> movies are. But – before we even get to the movie, let's talk about this method of release. Mm-hmm. What did you guys think of that? Christy, what was your take on how they Beyonce dropped this movie? I mean, my first take on it is boo. But Boo? Really? Why? Yeah. Okay, because here's the thing. I have nothing against Netflix. I'm not one of those people that's decrying that it's the death of cinema. I think that realistically audiences are interacting with cinema in a different way. And that the idea that everyone is going to go to a theater and see a movie is completely outdated. Some people just don't have access to those kind of things. And some people just don't have the interest, frankly, or, mm-hmm. you know, the fortune to be able to pay to go see it. So children. I do, right. There's tons of reasons. And, like, I think it's cool that Netflix is making more, like, niche things more accessible. But that's not exactly what happened here. Like, this was a movie that got dumped. This is a movie that Paramount didn't know what to do with, and they sold to Netflix. They're now saying for $50 million um, to just get it off their books, right? And, like, what did Netflix do? Netflix decided that – and, like, to their credit, they bought a Super Bowl ad, which is a big buy. Mm -hmm. But they – and they created an event around it, which I get and I respect because, look, a lot of people watched it that night, right? Because it was the thing to do now. Mm -hmm. It was an event. They were trying to make an at-home viewing event, which is kind of cool. But, like, from the perspective of someone that covers this stuff for work, I saw those – like, I wasn't even watching the Super Bowl because I sports ball is not my deal. <laughs> but I saw on Twitter everybody blowing up about it, and I was like, I, no, I'm, I choose not. I watched it the night after because we said we we're going to talk about it on here, so I felt beholden. But, like, I don't I, – what I like about Netflix is that I can watch things when I choose to watch them. Mm-hmm. So the idea of pressuring me to try to watch something because everybody can right now, I was not into. But don't you think that that's exactly what the just media landscape 
is now. It's, oh, you haven't caught up on Game of Thrones. Oh, you haven't caught up on Breaking Bad. Oh, you haven't but watched But you're talking all... about week-to-week stuff. Yeah. Netflix well, doesn't okay, play well, that so, game. But, but all, of the, all of the Netflix shows are like that. Have you watched, you know, you get we get, what, uh, an entire season of, I don't know, House of Cards is a bad example, but what whatever the big... Sure, ne- like Orange is the New Black, right. Jessica Jones. And totally, yeah. there's a frenzy to watch oh, yeah, them all. The but what's cool about Daredevil that... Daredevil comes out and people are like, did you watch all of Daredevil yet? I was like, no, it came out 10 hours but ago. How did like you watch it all? that's a different experience because when you're binge watching a show, you see people tweeting the experience as they go along, right? And it's feeling like you get to grow that community as you go because it's not just you're watching a movie in the middle of the night when most people are either, <laughs> you know, sleeping or rioting in Philadelphia. I actually, <laughs> but to that, to what you're saying, Christy, like I think the experience was people were like, holy shit, there's another Cloverfield movie happening and I can watch it now. And then people were like live tweeting their experience of watching it. And I did actually feel like there was a weird communal aspect to discovering this movie uh, that we didn't even know that existed um, or Mm -hmm. that we could see it just a couple hours ago. Like to me, that's the experience, right? On the West Coast, it it dropped at like seven thirty. Oh wow! So yeah. it wasn't you know it wasn't uh, like you West this Coast pressure to stay up all night. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so for yeah, me, I was no. like, yeah, I'll, sure, I'll, I'll watch this. I'm going to it bed. It was more of a pressure on the East Coast for sure, and I think actually uh, maybe in some of the reviews, I I feel like I can read the uh, I can't believe I got fucking assigned to watch oh, this movie 100%. and review it 100%. on Sunday night uh, or I mean, early Monday morning or something. Yeah. To their credit, I do think it's cool in that, like, a p- mm. fun part of being a critic is that they don't show us necessarily all the same stuff at the same time. So when you're part of that first wave that got to see the movie for everybody else, it's a really fun thing to kind of get to talk about. Like, oh, you haven't seen The Cloverfield Paradox? And so I do think it's cool that, or like, Black audience... Panther like we just yeah. did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, totally. But, I mean, even us, like, I, I got to see the second screening of Black Panther. I didn't get to go to the first one, you know what I mean? So, like, I heard the whispers about it before I got to see it. And, like, so it's, it's that thing where I think it is cool that Netflix basically gave that experience to a bunch of people, like, no matter who you are, where you were, as long as you were paying at least $7.99 for Netflix a month, mm-hmm. you got to watch The Cloverfield Paradox. And I, I think it's a neat idea, but what I worry is that it was a big gimmick and stunt yeah. made to sell a movie that they otherwise wouldn't be able to. I, because... I, I totally hear you, yeah. I actually just wrote a piece about that because you look at this movie, right, and we've all seen it. Um, I actually mm-hmm. kind of liked it, but this movie has done terribly with critics. I feel like if uh, if critics got to see this movie before Netflix did this, just that early word of mouth would have like you know stopped a lot of people. And also, this is the sort of thing where in theaters, uh, these movies just aren't really selling anymore. I'm thinking of like Life right. last year, which made like thirty million dollars and it had big stars in it, and this one doesn't even have that. So this movie yeah. would have been doomed in theaters. And Netflix, you know, I think d- by doing this thing, they gave it some buzz uh, where it really didn't have any other than the Cloverfield name. Um, and you know, like. I don't know if I have a problem with that because it's actually a really cool release strategy for a type of film that is dying, that Hollywood doesn't support and the the theatrical experience doesn't really support it much anymore either. So I give them credit for like making, you know, lemonade out of a bag of lemons here. That's Uh, a good point. That's a very good argument. And I I admit that my my irritation is largely (laughs) just personal where I was like, no, I don't feel like watching this now and I'm not gonna. I mean, you don't have Um, to. You don't have to. And that's that's the other thing, too. It feels like, you know, these these, uh, Super Bowl ads are all like brands throwing their weight around. Like, how powerful am I? Like, look how good I am. 
this one is like Netflix is like here's a trailer and the movie is going to be right there once the game is over. They're sort of like saying to everybody else, "Do you even stream, bro?" You know, it's like, <laughs> look what funny. I can do. They also had Ava DuVernier tweet about it in advance, yeah. which like she didn't say what it was. She was just like, film Twitter is going to lose their mind tonight. Yeah. And film Twitter lost their mind early. <laughs> I got so many alerts being like people being like, what do you think's going on? Da, 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 da. And like my favorite theory was that she was going to show a trailer for the Rihanna uh, mm. Lupita Nyong'o heist movie she's oh, working man. on. And which... I was like, that would have been my, which doesn't make any sense. They haven't, no, no, they haven't, no. they don't even have a script yet, but that was like my favorite insane yeah. theory. But it makes um, sense for her to like give it a little buzz too. Cause this is honestly a movie that has a, a couple, like it's a decent hallmark for diversity in filmmaking. Like it is directed by a young black filmmaker. It stars a really diverse cast. And the main character is played by uh, Gugu Mbatha-Ra, who is one of, uh, I think one of the most interesting actresses right now. So, mm-hmm. like, there's a lot going on here. Well, she has a history with sense. Netflix because yes, 13th yeah. debuted there. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a big – I do think that's what's really cool is mm-hmm. that you're seeing with Netflix, you're seeing filmmakers who do get ignored by more mainstream venues in Hollywood being able to make films. Like, 13th was Netflix. And she mm-hmm. said on the promotion tour for that because, like, you know, she was coming off Selma and people knew who she was and maybe she could have gotten a really good, like, theatrical deal for that. And she was basically like, look, when I made Selma, there's not an art house in Selma, so people in Selma could not see Selma. I want everyone to be able to see 13th. And that's what's cool about Netflix, and that's what I think gets lost a lot in this conversation is, and, like, you know, I think a lot of times people who are commenting on this, like us... We live in bigger cities where we have the opportunity to see these things in theaters. So we kind of tend to forget that, like, not everybody has that ability. And I do think that's cool. Like, I take issue with elements of the Cloverfield franchise for other reasons. (laughs) But I really do like that Netflix is allowing a space where, like, this and Oksha and, like, movies that are just... I can't imagine Oksha existing any other way than Mm -hmm. as a netflix movie because that movie is so weird and refuses to fit in a box like how the fuck would you have marketed that that's the key that's the key point right is Mm -hmm. that this and bright and a a lot of these these films that don't wouldn't probably do very well in theaters but that's not Mm -hmm. even the business plan right Mm -hmm. the whole idea is netflix created a moment that made it important that you had a netflix subscription Mm -hmm. right that's a good point and i that's all they care about and that's a really interesting forgive the use of the term disruption for this entire industry is where hey it's not about asses in seats anymore it's about are you part of this conversation and so you've got to maintain this subscription to be part of this conversation i'm definitely in the davinger camp here of really thinking separate from what this movie is or why it happened to this movie, the idea that a company would do this at all and that this is a possibility now right. where you can have a movie that you didn't even weren't even sure was being made is available to watch instantly. And not only that, we used literally the biggest platform on the planet mm-hmm. right. to tell you about it. Like, That's really cool. In, t- in terms of marketing, like, you know, uh, there were a ton of trailers that premiered during the Super Bowl. Like, I- I'm really a big fan of that Mission Impossible Fallout trailer because that looks amazing. But I have to wait months to see those right. movies. Right. And all those companies, like, have to spend, you know, millions of dollars making consumers aware 
that oh yeah this movie's coming like pay attention to this movie don't forget about this movie uh that's such a good i guarantee like i'd bet you that 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 ad those two ads that you addressed probably Mm -hmm. are the most money that netflix has ever put down on like one campaign probably yeah well, let's talk about the movie now uh, and try to avoid spoilers. Uh, I'll, I'll actually start because um, I I wonder if you guys uh, d- probably both disagree with me. I did not care for this movie. Um, <laughs> I wanted to like it. I'm a fan of the Cloverfields yeah. such th- as they are. Uh, and Cloverfield, I guess, is has become sort of the black mirror of movie franchises where it's mm-hmm. just Stop sort of it. <laughs> sort of loosely based uh, anthology series that is sort of of a similar tone. It's a and Cloverfield movie. fucking wishes. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think the first Cloverfield movie not, is genuinely is genuinely great. Like that is. I'm not describing. Movie. I'm not. I'm not describing a quality level. Although mm-hmm. I liked Cloverfield yeah. and I, Ten Cloverfield Lane very yeah, much. Lane, yeah. Here's the thing. I like Cloverfield. I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I really like Cloverfield, 10 Cloverfield Lane, mm-hmm. except that I feel like that by tying it to Cloverfield, you undermined the entire fucking movie. <laughs> and this, well, th- this movie feels the same way. Yeah. No, I don't think it is. This movie does the same thing where it's like the way, the, the way it means to bend over backwards to tie itself to the original movie, I think does a disservice to an otherwise interesting story. And isn't it that both instances, the Cloverfield Paradox and 10 Cloverfield Lane, were other films that they basically yeah, yeah. rewrote to yeah this is true but and that's happened to the like Die Hard it. franchise like this is not the first time this has happened within a film franchise of like repurposing scripts i also don't like 10 cloverfield lane is not directly related to anything in cloverfield like it's cloverfield is a marketing term right now we're not trying to like complete a single story here uh, and, tr- and i don't think mm-hmm. i think getting hung up on that yeah. is is a, is a little i can understand, my, the, the, I can the, understand it but yeah. it's just it's just i think I don't think the movies are even asking you mm-hmm. to 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 do that. They're not asking you to be like, well, now we're going to have the continuing mm-hmm. saga of the Cloverfield franchise. It's more like the Twilight it's, Zone, it's, right? Like it's it's right. It's monster or movie. Black Mirror. Monster yeah, movie. it's of a oh. similar tone. It, the Cloverfield name gives you an expectation of tone, mm-hmm. not of anything else. And that's totally not true because they they all like I mean they all but it, involve. That is not what's wrong with this movie. Right, like right, that right. that. That criticism is a big spoiler, but I, also I hear, like I hear that. Yeah, let's let's save that it, for spoilers. Is, How is, about that? Like I think we can have this fuller yeah. discussion there. Although I won't get into the yeah. spoilers, but I mean the yeah. the fact that they're all connected is in a spoiler. That's known. Though I will I do want to say this. Mm-hmm. Um, Oliver over at Screen Crush made a video on how all these things actually tie together. Mm-hmm. And what's insane to me, and I did not know this, you really have to go online to all their weird different promotional websites right. to even understand and piece all this together. And Oliver did an amazing job of doing that. So I recommend checking out that video if you're at all interested. It's like 11 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And the that, amount of work they put in. That is too much. Like that is more than I care about how these movies are connected. That's the thing, right? right. I watch these movies that's as my like problem. individual things. That's yeah. Easter egg stuff. That's like, but yeah. that's, that's not it, even it's, it. It's, it's there if you want it to be there. there. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with that. I think for this to tie together, you need to do all this extra research, and that kind of bugs me. It's mm-hmm. one thing if the stories hang together, well, but there's all this extra stuff there if you yeah. want it. If it's you only there. But otherwise, yeah. why call them all Cloverfield? Like, why act like they're because in a franchise? For exactly what the reason mm-hmm. I'm trying to express, which I'm is, sorry, go ahead. I, I think it is, I think it is trying to give you an expectation of tone and of magic box. Like the, these are yeah. all. These are all of a similar, like like I've been saying, Black, uh, Black Mirror, Twilight Zone. It is, 
every episode of Black Mirror. Well, actually, those do tie together. Some of them, some of them but, do. But even the, like that's a good example of like loosely tying together, right? You may hear a yeah, song and you from have to episode. do a lot of work. Yeah, you'd have to do a lot of work similarly to to bend your mind to figure out what time period all that will all. But even even more than that, like Twilight Zone, you don't expect each. It's an anthology series, and I right, think that's right. kind of well. But anyway, the movie itself, I think that is the least of its problem. <laughs> I think it already were it, it just to be released as a its own standalone sci-fi film. It has a lot of issues in my mind. Most notably of the, of those is for a sci-fi movie to work for me, mm-hmm. there has to be an establishment of what's different about what's the sci-fi concept here. What's different about this universe than our universe? What do I have to understand and accept? in order to what even understand what, what's normal for this world, right? right? Yeah. In, in, in the Cloverfield Paradox, things get crazy so quickly <laughs> that we don't even know what normal is before they're crazy. And then once they get crazy, there's literally no rules as to why they're crazy. What, they what... never explain so many of the mm-hmm. things that make zero sense. Mm-hmm. Somebody, I heard somebody explain it in a really great way. They said, if the infinite improbability drive from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy all of a sudden just wanted to mess with you, <laughs> that's this movie. <laughs> it, that's it, like, yeah. <laughs> stuff just starts going haywire for no reason and for – well, not for no reason, but in, in no discernible pattern or right, manner right. that – adds up to anything and it's sort of like oh yeah okay so the wall opens up all right show that's I, I what they're hinging a lot on the paradox part of the title and that's it right like it's uh something Which is happens lazy something yeah certainly lazy but something happens in the movie and then shit gets weird and then we kind of just roll with that yeah and, and that then, was the thing. these are all supposed to be the smartest people Earth has to offer, <laughs> and yet they are so dumb in the face of these. They take no precautions. They're just all standing in a semicircle looking at the weird thing, and let's all just stare at it. Well, I mean, like, I, I liked uh, – I was, like, into it for the first act. And like you said, there's an amazing cast. Elizabeth Debicki's mm-hmm. in it. Gugu Mbatha-Ra, David Ayelio. Chris uh, O'Dowd. Yeah, Chris O'Dowd is fun Yes. He kills the movie. I loved fun. him so much. He was so yeah. much fun. And, like, he – I he didn't totally make sense on the space station because it feels like these are all very serious scientists and then here's some guy you got from an Irish pub but I'm not <laughs> mad at it because he was so much fun. Hey man, he's really smart. Okay, he just sounds like he's you put you picked him up from an Irish pub. That's all. Totally fine. It was more <laughs> his attitude where he was just super cash about it. Yeah, I yeah, think. yeah. I loved but whatever he was playing in this movie. Like, there's I one line where he's talking about his arm, and I I crack up just thinking about the delivery of it. And like yeah, I know the line you mean. All that stuff yeah. is very good. Yeah. There's a lot but, of really fun moments, but it doesn't getting, add up to a good movie. I kept getting frustrating because things would happen and things would happen and things would happen. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't understand this and I don't understand this and yeah. I don't understand this. And look, I have patience with movies. I'm cool if you got me going on a journey. You're not going to explain everything right away. But it started hitting so many things that I was like, <laughs> I don't understand why anything is anything and like the movie, basically, and this is not a spoiler; it's super general. But it's like the equivalent of what you're watching when you're watching a fantasy movie, and something doesn't happen, or something happens that doesn't make any sense. And basically, you're just like, "Ah, eh, magic exists, so fine." Sure. And like yeah. that's basically what it does. But I'm like, this is motherfucking science fiction. Like you can play with a lot of things, but give me at least bullshit techno babble to explain why any of this has happened. <laughs> and like their attempts at that are so atrocious that i was like we're not done explaining this right and then characters just leave the room and i was like what i will refer to 
uh, one of my favorite moments ever from uh, a show I used to do called The Totally Rad Show, where, appropriately enough, uh, the director of one of the Cloverfield movies, Dan Trachtenberg, described Lost Mm -hmm. uh, as, oh, it's a magic place where magic happens. And that, I think, is a description of Cloverfield Paradox. Oh, it's a magic place where magic happens. It's just, (laughs) there's no, it's okay. Anything yeah. can happen, yeah. so why do I care? It's it's all just magic happening. Who? Uh, oh, okay. So now a, a polar bear pops out. Fine. Okay. Right. That's... In Lost, like yeah. I think I, I don't know that felt like a not great description of like what made Lost work, though, right? Like Lost, the criticism of Lost is that yeah, they didn't have any discernible logic, but there were things I connected to. And similarly, in this movie, I actually. I, I had fun with it. Like, I, I enjoyed watching this movie more than I enjoyed Bright, certainly. And it is really weird to see that... Uh... I'm not going to pretend I watched Bright. Okay. Well, the, <laughs> the critical response to this, like, it, and it's it's really comparing, like, different types of shit. Basically, like, uh, Bright is at, like, 26%, and this movie was at 16% last I checked. Um, it is funny to me, like, how this one is getting eviscerated. And I, I honestly do wonder how much of that is that everybody had to write this movie, <laughs> watch this movie... And write the review, like, right after the Super Bowl. A lot of people had to do this. Um, you know, I wanted it, to like it, man. Yeah. I really did. I yeah. was excited to watch it. I think it's it's really cool art direction. I think uh, it's really well shot. It's got – I love the color of the spaceship and yeah. the way the way it's lit. It's all really slick. And like I said, there are fun moments, but it doesn't add up to anything. And it's kind of a hat on a hat on a hat. Mm-hmm. Like – one of I could extract like one cool idea out of it and make a movie. And this movie just layers on weird idea after weird idea to the point where it's all just mishmash gobbledygook that doesn't that doesn't really have anything clear to say to me. Yeah, it's for... a Johnny Depp outfit personified as a film. <laughs> I could totally see that. For me, like I enjoyed, I I honestly just enjoyed watching it. Like watching B grade sci fi like this is something I like to do, and I think that's something. A lot of people just in general enjoy like it's I understand it's not a well-written movie. This movie needed a lot of script passes. It needed some editing help. Like there's a B plot involving uh, Gugu Mbatha-Raw's husband, which just feels like I don't even know why most of that is in the movie. I yeah, heard I don't that know was what, all reshoots. I don't know oh, what man. timeline he's in yeah. or what's going on there or well, why he, I he's care. On, you know, the, yeah, I can't say too much without spoilers, yeah. but he's on, you know, he's on Earth. He's doing the thing. But I think the setup of, like, the world is, like, you know, we're going through an energy crisis. Uh, we are sending this thing up to space to potentially find, like, a, you know, renewable form of energy, which is basically using, like, a quantum uh, – it's a, a particle accelerator Higgs boson or something, yeah. Yeah, it's a particle accelerator in space. And, like, that, that whole concept and stuff was cool. I love the opening sequence to this movie which basically covers them being stuck there for two years, trying to get this it thing yada, yada, yada's them being yeah. cut there for two years. Like, that's interesting stuff. And it's like, no, going I, to space, yada, 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 I, th- I think this, the actual mm-hmm. act of saying, like, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go up there and, and go do this thing. I, th- I think more than yada, yada, yada it's more like that is a really cool way to edit together the fact that these people – are just stuck here and getting, you know, worse and worse, you know, with this whole situation. Uh, certainly I, I think a lot of sequences could have been better directed. Uh, I love the cast, but some people seem to be like, whatever they were bringing to the movie felt out of like, not the right tone as everybody else. Like, I think there's a, uh, the Russian guy who's like always angry yeah. about things. Like he, he feels like he is not at the same level of like whatever other people are doing. Um, but I'm just saying, like, as something, like, is a B sci-fi movie that I would find on TV 
on Saturday night or something and just like sit and grab some popcorn and watch it. I actually found, you know, it to be mostly enjoyable. Like there's some sequences where it starts to feel like maybe Event Horizon or something, but uh, there are some really interesting set pieces in this movie, um, especially one involving Zhang Ziyi, who who's in this movie. What is she doing in this movie? It's crazy. Um, th- honestly, it looked cool. Like uh, that's all. Like uh, as a set piece of something crazy ha- happening in a space station, uh, I thought it looked cool. It to me, it was more interesting and more thrilling than Life, and Life just bored the hell out of me like because it, that movie was basically straight up an alien ripoff whereas this one may like yeah is an homage to a bunch of different things but at least try to do a couple new things even if it's not like the best at it well there you have it yeah uh that's the cloverfield <laughs> paradox evidently there is a fourth cloverfield oh, movie man. that is coming to theaters <sighs> so the cloverfield franchise carries on i'm i'm into this in guys. like october right <laughs> Yes, yeah, October 26th. Like, uh, I, I dig it. I, I like the idea of this sort of loosely connected series of films. I think that's fun. Mm-hmm. And nobody's ever done it before. It, so it I, is, I don't know. It's a type of science fiction that I think we stopped making. Like when, yeah. think back to like when the original Cloverfield was being um, teased. Like the, the, uh, the key to this Cloverfield franchise is the marketing. Right, the original one, it was yeah. a teaser with no title card. It was just this crazy mm-hmm. thing happening, and then right. like, a statue of Liberty's and it was, head. And it was like, supposedly what? a temp title. Yep. It was like Cloverfield because that was the exit uh, that where they wrote the movie, yep. and it was supposedly the temp title, <laughs> and now it's become this thing. So you know, the original movie was basically built up with J.J. Uh, Abram and his mystery box and everything. Uh, Ten Cloverfield Lane. We learned about that movie two months before uh, it was coming out. We didn't even know Dan Trachtenberg was attached to it. Uh, before then so it's all you know pretty uh, the the element of surprise is a big part of this whole franchise too i think that's Mm -hmm. why that's bothering me though is because it's like it feels like the films are almost an afterthought to all these mechanizations of mystery box marketing Mm -hmm. well this this feels like the first true failure honestly because the first cloverfield you go back and watch that movie that movie is a great uh, take of like honestly it's about like uh, being a 20 something in New York and like trying to tell somebody you like them except oh man there's a monster running around the streets so it's really hard like it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's tough you guys and uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane is just like a great little um, I think bit of tension like just great work from John Goodman like I don't really think... beautifully done that one so those movies are good I don't know if this strategy is failing honestly this is the yeah, first this, true failure this is the first misstep in my opinion mm-hmm. yeah all right, guys, let's get to our main review. But first, I want to thank uh, the people that have donated to the Slash Filmcast this this week. Um, this is awesome. Uh, Cynthia Comp, I hope I pronounced that correctly, Cynthia. She made a big donation, and she wanted to add this message alongside it. She said, hey, guys, my husband and I are longtime fans of the show I'd like to make this donation in his name for Valentine's Day. If you could please tell Adam Comp, Comp, uh, <laughs> that his wife Cindy loves him very much. Oh wait, it's Cynthia and then Cindy. Oh no. Oh no. I hope. Oh maybe, no. Maybe it's short. Maybe it's just short. Yeah, maybe it's, Cindy's it's short for okay. Cynthia. Cindy yeah. is short for Cynthia. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. I've ruined Valentine's Day for these people. I'm sorry, Cynthia and Adam. It's okay. Uh, Cindy loves him very much. I'd appreciate it. Thanks. So, Adam, your wife loves you in the best possible way, i.e. giving us money. So thank you very much. (laughs) Uh, 
I think that's beautiful. And uh, if you guys would like to send your long-distance dedications to us, uh, we also got one from Zach Martin. Uh, Zach says, uh, thanks for years of free ear pleasure, which I think is exactly what Cynthia is saying to Adam, too. Yeah. hey Um, (laughs) 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 We also got subscribers uh, (laughs) at $2 a month. Uh, uh, Luke H. and Michael H. No H relation Mm. there. Uh, You can donate to the Slash Filmcast uh, by going to SlashFilm.com, clicking on the Slash Filmcast tab, and then using the PayPal links on the side of the page, or just go directly to PayPal.me slash Filmcast. That's PayPal.me slash Filmcast. We appreciate those donations. They really do help us out in making the show and bringing people on uh, and uh, offsetting the cost of seeing movies and talking about them. We appreciate that. All right, let's move on now to our featured review. This week we will be talking about Call Me By Your Name. Professor Pearl, Thank you so much. I can show you around. That'd be great, thank you. So what do you do around here? Read books, transcribe music, swim at the river, go out at night. Sounds fun. All right, later. Just watch, this is how we'll say goodbye to us when the time comes. Later. <laughs> Meanwhile, we'll have to put up with him for six long weeks. That was from the trailer of Call Me By Your Name. Uh, I will read from the IMDb description of this movie. In Northern Italy in 1983, 17-year-old Elio begins a relationship with visiting Oliver, his father's research assistant, with whom he bonds over his emerging sexuality, their Jewish heritage, and the beguiling Italian landscape. This is from uh, Italian director Luca... Guadagnino? Guadagnino. Uh, uh, All of my Italian ancestors are rolling over in their graves right now because I screwed that one up. Uh, But he is an Italian director. This takes place uh, in the beautiful Italian countryside. Stars Army Hammer and uh, Timothy Chalamet. Uh, And let's start with you, Devendra. What did you think of Call Me By Your Name? Oh, I adored this movie. I actually saw this like right before our uh, top 10 episodes of last year. And I'm so glad I did because I it, it floored me. Like this to me was the most romantic thing I saw last year. Um, the relationship between these two characters is so it it just feels so layered and so sweet. Like it is a portrait of uh, young adulthood and being a teen and maybe feeling in love or having emotions that you don't quite know what to do with. And uh, in this case, it's having emotions to a guy and not being quite. I don't think this character of Elio knows what to do with these feelings or if he feels like it's okay to have these feelings. And seeing him work through this, I thought was just incredibly moving. Chalamet is a fantastic performer. Army Hammer, like this is a great, I, I love Army Hammer in general, but I love like the swagger he has in this. And like, it's exactly the mm-hmm. sort of swagger that like a teenager would have. Like, look at this older guy, like it's just all put together and just like really into this. Whereas you're an insecure teen. I love the like balance between that relationship um the setting is fantastic like i saw this movie in the middle of winter here in new york and it is miserable 
and uh, just the gorgeous <laughs> Italian countryside where everyone's just like lounging around, uh, shirtless, uh, bathing in the sun. Like that, that's a thing I, I'd really love to do right now. Um, the extended cast, too, like Michael Stuhlbarg is perfect dad, like just the perfect dad. Maybe. I, I don't. I, do dads like this exist, exist in real life? You know, a dad who actually <laughs> thinks and responds to his child and thinks about their emotional well-being and gives actually great advice. Uh, to me, like in so many ways, this movie feels like a counterpart to Lady Bird. Um, so yeah, I can't. Uh, I actually haven't. Had which, a also to, which also Timothy's in. Which also Timothy's in. Yeah, uh, I haven't had a chance to rewatch this movie since then, but it's so like burned into me, like. The experience of it is so fantastic. I can't wait to see it again. Uh, yeah, loved it. I, it's a movie I've been telling everybody to go see. Christy, what about you? What did you think of Call Me By Your Name? I love it. I saw it for the first time during the New York Film Festival last fall. And um, yeah, I really like Luca's film, I Am Love. Mm -hmm. And I feel yeah, like yeah. this is a beautiful continuation of that, where it's another story that is so the the emotions are so baked in and the mm -hmm. setting is so baked in that like a beautiful telling countryside there too yeah totally and it's like you can it's like i wrote in my review that it's like you you feel like you could reach out and touch this movie you feel like you can feel the skin the sun on your skin it mm -hmm. feels like you can reach out and like grab the peaches or stroke the chest hair or whatever like it's a film <laughs> that i mean but seriously it's it's such a sensual film that's yeah. about this experience of of elio recognizing a side of himself um that is like how to love someone else in a romantic and a sexual manner and i think the way it's told is very beautiful and very thoughtful and i watched it again to prepare for the episode and again i was just really struck because the performances are beautiful and the way it's shot is astounding and I, and also just the music by sufjan stevens is oh, that how you yeah. say his name sufjan yeah. so i don't know it's yeah. it's just it's so elegant and lovely and like it's it's also really cool because it's set in 1983 mm -hmm. and you have this kid who he explains like Timothée Chalamet explains that he is Ital what was it Italian French and English mm -hmm. and Jewish yeah and so he has this kind of background that gives him a very distinct childhood where he's being raised by these intellectuals that have like a a, a very uh interesting like blend of cultures and he and because of that his parents are just a lot more kind of mm -hmm. open-minded and whatever and like at one point he says to his dad like he almost slept with a girl last night and his dad doesn't act shocked and yeah. his dad doesn't do like the broy gross thing of being like you really give it to her or whatever <laughs> he's just like oh why didn't you and like they're so they can have this open conversation about it and it lays the path to have more conversations with his dad that are that frank and that that are that open-hearted and i thought it was really beautiful because you get to see him figuring out like who he is and what's going on and I, I just was very taken by this film well uh i am decidedly less enthusiastic than you guys <laughs> okay uh, and i'm sure i'm going to step into it here um i i will say this i uh, got married in italy and this movie made me want to go back oh, immediately yeah. it is uh, such a sumptuous uh, visualization of what makes Italy such a special place on this planet. It really, it's so beautiful and uh, it makes you want to, like you said, lie in the sun 
there's there's so much of this movie that's just like I just want to lay down in that grass. Mm-hmm. That grass mm-hmm. looks like, as you said, you can reach out and touch the peaches or or the chest hair, <laughs> or lie in lie in the grass. I mean, it is it is a beautifully realized vision of a place that is is transportive and uh for that i really enjoyed uh, how the movie is shot how it how it sort of lives in that place i was not taken by this relationship i, I will say i thought the performances were lovely i don't know how you find this timothy chalamet mm-hmm. kid yeah what a find this guy is my goodness he's great uh his incredibly unique uh, mixture of skills that it seemed to me, I don't know how much he had to learn for this movie as far as right. being multilingual like and language and plays and the piano, piano and plays and, the yeah. guitar. And it's, it's quite something. And it's like, Oh, did you just lightning struck and the perfect kid emerge? Like he's a great actor and also has all the skills you need. I don't know, but whatever the case uh, he's, he's great and deserves all of the plaudits he's been getting uh, for his performance. And army hammer is wonderful as well. I don't find and Michael Stuhlbarg there we'll get to it in spoilers, but there's a moment with Michael Stuhlbarg toward the end of the movie mm-hmm. that really is for me just the best moment in the entire film. Yeah. Um, but I don't buy this relationship and I know you guys are going to uh, get mad at me, but I think it, 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 I think it really comes out of nowhere. It feels very, <laughs> okay. Sorry. Yeah, it yeah, feels yeah. very, sorry. that was, that came off really disrespectful. <laughs> I just was surprised. That was just, I'm sorry. Go on. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, fair enough. I know, I know you disagree. I, I, I just, um, I didn't buy them their connection. I feel mm-hmm. like the movie is trying so hard to convince me that they have one, and yet, it, it, it I didn't. It just, it, it's, it's only because the movie is telling me they have right, one, right, not right. be, not because it grew out of some organic place. Like mm-hmm. he's sort of having. The thing I said to my wife after we watched it was like, yeah, I fell in love at 17 too. Yeah. I mean, like, that's what you do. You, <laughs> that's it's what like, you it's do. Not, that's it, Jeff. It's not that's, a transcendent, that is, you, you solved your own dilemma with this But it's film. not there. a transcendent love. Like, the, I think uh, the movie is trying to Oh, I make married the, case... the guy that I met at 17. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about fair it. Fair enough. Fair enough. That's <laughs> I'm, I'm happy for you. But uh, I... I, I think this movie is trying to convince me that it is a transcendent mm-hmm. uh, love that is that is special beyond its circumstance, and I didn't buy that. I found it mm-hmm. to be exactly as special as its circumstance, i.e., you're in a beautiful place, you see a b- beautiful person, yeah. and you fall in love with them. Well, like, I, I, th- that... I think that's part of it, too. Like, when you're a teenager, everything is the greatest, right? It, it's yeah. a sense of, like, heightened emotions. Like, to uh, th- that's, like, the core of Romeo and Juliet, right? Like, it is... The heightened, uh, you know, uh, emotional existentialism of being a teenager because you're the most important person in the world and everything happens to to you is happening like only to you and at the most extreme. So that is that has always been part of that whole like teenage love thing. That's why, uh, you know, know, some teen movies, I think, can be really dramatic with it Uh, to what you're saying, Jeff. Like, I don't I, I think the movie is very quiet about how it sets up certain things. It doesn't tell you like oh man these guys are star-crossed lovers and they deserve to be together for the rest of their lives like it's not that movie it's the movie about like meeting somebody and like you have maybe you know four or five weeks with them that ends up being this transformative experience in your life and you'll always remember that like even if you can't always be together right 
Yeah, but I mean, it's it's. I forgive me for this, but mm-hmm. it's not. It's less Romeo and Juliet and more Grease. It's like summer <laughs> loving had me a blast. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, like, I I understand what you're saying, mm-hmm. but it's like. I feel like it's also that you have to remember, like Devendra saying that I think the film is very clearly through Elio's perspective. Right. And so it's not even so much that like, I don't think you're supposed to take it a, like from a Frank perspective of whatever, but you're looking at it through Elio, who to him, he's only 17, 18 at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. So like, this is the biggest thing that's happened to him. And what I thought was so cool is like Army Hammer is like, perfectly cast as like that guy you would hope would be <laughs> the person to usher you into right. your sexual awakening right. frankly uh and like he's Definitely just not he's, a creepo yeah <laughs> like a How little cocky you? but pretty considerate too yeah like, like there's he's a lot like going on there this poor perfect american crush right uh-huh. where he like the later, later, later. And, like, <laughs> yeah he's smart but he's like sort of jockey and like then just so that he's not too perfect, he dances like such a loser. <laughs> oh, oh, the man. dancing. The oh, dancing kills man. me. It's so he's... good. Can I ask you something, Christy? And I know this is going to – I'm going to step into it here hard. <laughs> Let's hard. do it. I'm, I feel I'm le- like I know where you're all going. Right, all I'm right. leaning into the punch uh, <laughs> hard here, and I'm, I'm willing to take it across my face. Last week, you uh, came down – pretty heavily on uh, during our review of The Phantom Thread, and I think justifiably so, in your criticism of how the movie sort of marginalized the object of love, and we didn't really know anything about her, and she didn't really have agency, and she was just this beautiful object that he uh, idolized. And I want you to explain to me how that's different than what's happening in this movie. Okay. Or tell me anything we know about Army Hammer's character. Well, first off, I want to point out that there's inherently a difference because it's a male character. Mm Because traditionally in film, women often get to be the love interest, and that is their role. They are the wife, they are the girlfriend, they they are the attachment, period. So it's inherently more, it's subversive inherently to have that happen to a male character. Though I do think we know about Armies, because we get to hear about the paper he's writing, we get to see that he is intelligent, we know that he comes from this thing and he's working on this book, we know that his father would put him in conversion therapy if he knew that he is even remotely queer. Right. So, like, there are elements of that to who he is. He's a more active Um, character, I think, than, than, um, what's her name in Phantom Thread? Alma. In Alma, yeah, but yeah, yeah, that that is the big difference, right? He is very active, and the main character is acting upon him, whereas Alma is reacting to, uh, you know, to Daniel Day Lewis's character. Right, and I think that the idea that like he is kind of like a fantasy who swans through the door is kind of the point. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's there's a willful intention not to give you too much about who he is right away. Yeah, and then that, as that, the that by the way was on, partially my argument for Phantom Thread too. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I I certainly hear you on the subversive, mm-hmm. the gender subversiveness of you know swapping that. And, but and poor, poor women in this movie too, who also get sidelined. Yeah, this movie doesn't guys. pass the Bechdel test at all, <laughs> at all. Uh, but um, the I don't I don't see a palpable difference between his his him functionally in this movie mm. and Alma functionally in the Phantom Thread. In fact, she has more agency. She actually affects our character and and forces him to change in a way that is not natural to him. And I think what happens to Elio is completely natural and expected Mm -hmm. and 
not uh, not because of anything Army Hammer does. He's sort of mm-hmm. he's a sort of interchangeable, uh, beautiful man that any beautiful man could have done. Right. You know, right, could, right. I'm I'm gonna throw this out there that I think it's in part because like you're not lusting for Army Hammer is is part of the disconnect here. Not well, I wasn't lusting for Alma either, to be fair. But, but I'm saying that you're missing an element, mm-hmm. is what I'm saying. Because mm-hmm. I one I don't think the Phantom Thread and Call Me by Your Name are very similar films, so I feel like comparing them this way is tricky at best. But two, like Army Hammer is meant to be this in capturing like if you had to pick someone to kind of, I mean, to basically take your your virginity, even though I know that, like, technically that's not what happens in the mm-hmm. film, but effectively, like, if you had to pick that perfect first love, someone who is captivating and sexy and would be gentle to your heart, like, this is, he's a fucking Adonis. It's, it's you know, it's perfection, and he is, in part, a symbol and like of course he is because like mm-hmm. this movie is not being objective this movie is about sensation over like truth mm-hmm. you know and i mean and- it it's all ultimately about how elio feels which is another difference between this and phantom thread where i feel phantom thread was trying to have a dual protagonist this army hammer is 100 percent the supporting player he is not like a co-lead mm-hmm. this is elio's story start to finish so that also makes sense why he like Oliver's background gets far less attention. And also we don't get that much about who Elio is outside of who he is in the summer, because that's what this is about. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of tough to compare the movies to because this one is, I also think like inherently about sex and eroticism and like that, mm-hmm. that sense of desire. Whereas Phantom Thread is, there was no sex in that movie. Like they kiss like the, the one, yeah. the one like hint at sex is that, Oh, Oh, he sneaks her into his room. Oh, yeah. Skate. They tumble out of frame at some point, but it's oh, like a man. weirdly prudish movie considering yeah. everything else that goes on in it. But you know, I, I could see why you're comparing them, Jeff. Like it, it's certainly there, like the structure of these two characters and the infatu- infatuation uh, they have with each other and you know what these relationships could mean honestly like the age difference the age difference yeah 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 like okay honestly... the age difference is way less egregious than this this is 17 <laughs> and 24 oh. versus you oh. know something in her 20s and 60s I, I i thought it was like army hammer at his current age which is like 30 something which is like yeah, yeah. i didn't i didn't but see him before, before, but either way it works better yeah uh, but yeah. 17 is pretty is pretty bad they're, they're both just different ways of portraying you know romantic relationships and i don't I don't know if like we can apply the rules of one uh, to the other. That's all. Like, right. I, I think there are different ways of telling these stories. Um, but yeah, I, I could I could kind of see what you're saying, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, for me, it just he just felt like an empty vessel mm-hmm. that and and yeah, I understand that it's Elio's story and it's all about his sexual awakening mm-hmm. and and understanding that moment in your adolescence where you sort of be fully flower into mm-hmm. the the mature human being he, that you are becoming not, but he's not empty like if anything elio is the empty one elio is like the kid who's bored and like uncomfortable with the other kids mm-hmm. around him and then he looks at this guy who goes into this bar and is sitting down with the old dudes who have like been there forever and it's just like casually chatting with them and starting to play with the game with them and like you know grabbing some beers whereas elio is like this kid who's uncomfortable in his own skin uh, he's probably never stepped into that bar before in his you know life, even though he's probably lived there for a long time. So I think that's the that's the main difference. Like if anything, the Army Hammer character is all like, you know, charisma and this aspiration of like what Elio wants to be, right? The kind of person but, he wants to be, yeah. 
What well, I mean, that, you get that's to see call Elio. me by your name, right? Yeah. That's that's I want to be you. Yes, exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah. And you get to see Elio surpass Oliver in that point because Oliver has all of this charisma and this seeming fearlessness. But then when it actually comes to the idea of them being together, Oliver is the one that is terrified. Yeah. Yeah. And he says something like, we can't talk about this. And he says, you know, like, it, like I'd like to kiss you right now, but he's so afraid. And it's interesting because it's like, you know, like I was saying before, Elio comes from this background where he is raised in this artistic and and, and educated environment where Mm -hmm. he doesn't feel any of the concern or shame, especially because like they even introduced that his parents have gay friends. It's not a big deal, which considering it's 1983, pretty goddamn progressive. But Army Hammer is a little bit older and he's coming from America, which we're getting into the AIDS crisis in America, which is not spoken of in the movie, which Mm -hmm. I'm glad for, because like not every queer story needs to deal with the AIDS crisis. Like I'm fine with it. But I thought it was really elegant that they show even that difference. And it's even that slight difference in age shows such a and like and uh, arena. shows such a huge perspective in in who these men get to be and how they get to operate Mm -hmm. and. I just thought that was really elegantly done as opposed to like shoving it down your throat that like, Oh, he's American. And there's such a stigma in America in 1983 for gay men. Like we know that we don't need to have like a character show up and be like, well, what are you? Some (laughs) sort of, you know, we don't need any of that. That's not what this space is about because it's Elio's story. Mm -hmm. And that's Oliver's issue. I think elegance is the key word here. Like Jeff, if you're looking for the movie to like specifically say like, Oh man, say out loud that this is like a perfect relationship or something that is super impactful or something like that. Like, I think the movie is much more quiet about everything it's trying to be like, even that scene where Elio tries to have this conversation with Oliver. Um, it is just like a wonderful, like, I think it's a one take of them just like walking between this fountain and trying to have this conversation and kind of indirectly coming at it. Um, it's really like the, the entire movie is all about like subtlety and elegance and not kind of saying directly what we mean. Well, I know? don't, I don't put words in my mouth that yeah. I'd like them to, to come right out and, and say it. I'm, I'm looking for more meat on the bone of mm-hmm. the, the, well, maybe we should get to spoilers. Cause yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. do think that yeah. I, I do well, think the movie is do, trying to I say, I want to point out something mm-hmm. about that scene though. So much of the back and forth and the back and forth that I think is maybe what you were struggling with is that there's not a clear path to their, they're the moment where they're in love is that there's this combativeness where both of them are feeling uncomfortable because they're feeling things that they don't know how to deal with. And I thought that that was really interesting because everything around them is so beautiful. I just assumed when I saw the posters and I heard the rave reviews that they would just kind of fall into each other's arms and it was just going to basically be a movie where they lounge around and are lovely together. And I was cool with that. But instead, they're very combative with each other where they kind of keep pushing back and forth and trying to show each other that, like, I'm smart. And there's that whole metaphor about the story his mother reads about the knight who, you know, do I speak or do I die? Mm -hmm. And I thought that that was very elegantly woven into who these two characters are and who they choose to be. Fair enough. All right. Uh, If you guys are cool, I think we should get to spoilers. We're going to talk specific scenes. Mm -hmm. So let's do that now. Spoilers for Call Me By Your Name. Now you're looking for the secret. You're gonna see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not gonna see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. 
I mean, really, we could just spend an hour talking about the Michael Stuhlbarg scene because it's okay. it's really the best scene Holy in the movie, uh, and it's it's extraordinary, and he delivers it in such a beautiful, simple way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, every, every dad should be as enlightened and uh, yeah. eloquent and able to <laughs> explicitly say just the perfect thing at the perfect time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it points to the problem that I have with this film. Firstly, it just it it it. it I won't I won't even say mm-hmm. that that it's not particularly enough for me. Mm-hmm. But the problem that I have is that that scene and the sort of last denouement of the movie wants you to I think try to, trying to convince the audience to believe that this is some transcendent love that this is a love that is more than a summer fling is right. more than just the the first time he's felt this way is more than what every 17-year-old has. It is something truly unique and special, and I don't think that's earned mm. in the film. I think those are one and the same, though. Like, I think being his first love and being this unique experience, I, look at the like the last, you know, the final shot of the movie that they play the credits over, where mm-hmm. Elio is just there, like, crying his heart out. And meanwhile, everyone's just like going on with their lives, like setting the table and like doing everything. But this this like emotion, this feeling is all his. And I kind of like how nobody's coming up and being like actually trying to take care of him in that moment, too. Like they're just letting him have his moment because they know his parents know they were listening to that call. They know his heart is crushed. They know what he's going. Right. Yeah. And I I thought it was nice because, okay, I understand like. I, I can't argue with you that you didn't feel the emotions mm-hmm. that you felt the film was trying to get across. Like, you didn't. And, okay. Mm-hmm. But I think that... I don't think it's necessarily that theirs is supposed to be some, you know, Romeo and Juliet, whatever style, like, grand big love. I think it's more about that sometimes you have that connection with someone and you recognize how special it is. And I think that even Michael Stuhlbarg's speech is very much about not just having that moment, but allowing mm-hmm. yourself to have that moment. And allowing yourself the vulnerability of that moment and to, the vulnerability of of feeling it when it passes. Yeah. Because that's what that speech is about. It's not just like, you know, it's not just him saying, like, I'm fine with it if, like, whatever your sexual orientation decides to be or whatever. Like, Oh, it's not about it, that at all. Yeah. No, right. And I'm, decides to be is a poor way of phrasing that. But I mean, like, basically his dad, it's not just the, like, I'm fine if you're a gay, that's not just that conversation. The conversation is much more encompassing and talking to his son about being authentic to his soul and to yeah, his heart. Yeah. And it's such a, a beautiful conversation that I feel like it doesn't, I like that it doesn't feel the need to pin down that like, there's no line in the film that says like, he's the only man I'll ever truly love, or this was the greatest love of all, or mm-hmm. love means never having to say you'll eat the peach, like whatever. Like it's, they don't need to do all that. That's not what this is about. This is. Well, he does explicitly say you have something that most people don't. Yeah. That most people will never have, which I, I find to be patently false. And I, I, I feel like it is, I mean, he, he, he intimates that he and his wife don't even have he, – he sees something in his son that he never had in his entire life, and he and his wife don't share. But I'm and, pointing out again that I feel like he's talking more about Elio's – how Elio chooses to be in this moment. 
Because so much of that conversation is about allowing himself to experience the heartbreak and not numbing himself to it, right, not right. gutting his soul to, to spare his feelings. Because it's so important to keep the, that part of you whole because you can't just take out the good things, you, the bad things, you have to take out the good things too. Like you chip away at yourself. And that's what that conversation is about. I don't think it's supposed to be a statement specifically about the level of love that he and Oliver had. They had that's how the conversation begins. But it's ultimately about his dad saying that like I never allowed myself to love the way you have and he's encouraging his son to continue to love that way even though it can hurt like hell I I find that to be a beautiful sentiment I I found his uh, articulation of that feeling of you know here you are here I am later in my life with a family and kids and I think it's a perfectly natural feeling to go, oh man, when I was 17, I, I, that's when you really felt it. You know, that's when like the whole world was all about that moment. Yeah. There's a a wonderful nostalgia to that. And it's a beautiful sentiment. It is absolutely exquisite, but I don't think that's all the movie is saying. Mm -hmm. I really don't. I think the movie is, I just don't, I just never felt like there was anything special about them other than the circumstances they found themselves in. And I don't, I didn't, I was honestly rather bored by how much time we spend with them just sort of figuring it out. It's fine. It's, I mean, there's, there's a lot of beauty in all that, but it's lugubrious and it's mm-hmm. extended and it, 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 and I understand the poetry that is intended in that. I just didn't find anything special about the connection between those two people that justified how much time and energy we spend on them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, th- I think that time and energy is is spent building building up like that special connection, honestly. But w- <clears throat> one other thing that uh, we get from Michael Stuhlbarg's uh, entire monologue too, I think he's kind of hinting that you know he has had similar feelings that towards men too. Like I think so. he is pressing down, and he never had the bravery or the ability to act on them either. Uh, because just think of like when he was growing up and like how much even more difficult it would have been then and Mm -hmm. to me like that that is part of the monologue like him saying to his son like i i understand you in more ways than one about what you're going through here and that beauty of like oh you had this you at least had this experience because you have these urges and that's good you should go with it and not bottle it up and not right i think it's it's so much more powerful if that's not the case but Mm -hmm. if that's what you got from i I didn't get that but i think both ways but to me like i think it's purposefully ambiguous for that reason but i also like that the film doesn't feel the need to peg things down so specifically not just in defining the relationship but also the character's sexual orientation because all three of the characters we've discussed oliver elio and his Mm -hmm. father have had relationships with presumably women and men like the Mm -hmm. dad we don't know but it is implied and i like that the film doesn't feel the need to be like to act like that they're living like false lives or whatever because there are people who exist that are not just gay or straight they are bi they are trans or they are trans or pan pansexual Mm -hmm. or queer or whatever the movie does the movie does like that (laughs) does show uh a woman who is remarkably cool with having been completely fucked over. Like it is, it is inhumanly. <laughs> I, did, I did feel real bad for that girl. Yeah. But she, she nice. somehow doesn't feel bad. Like right. she's like the most magnanimous person <laughs> ever on film. She's well, just like, yeah, I don't know. I thought that they, they, it's not like, 
I don't know. They had a flirtation. They had sex a couple of times. Like, and then, then I don't... he iced her. Like he, he, he totally just... iced yeah. her yeah. and no, totally he treated did. her treated but her it... terribly. And then she's like, "Let's be friends. Let's We're be cool." Friends. Well, so, so like but... you know, slim pickings in that town. And <laughs> he seems. Like well, it, it, it just shows Wait. a complete lack of stakes in this movie. Yeah, I totally disagree. I don't think that it's fair to assume that yeah. every girl is going to be heartbroken when some dude she sleeps with, like walks away like i mean it seemed like the two of them it's not that they... i didn't ask for heartbroken I don't, don't put those I... words in my mouth but give me give me a little how about you're p- behaving like a complete asshole to me and i didn't deserve that mm-hmm. like that she knows she, she she confronts him and he right. continues to treat her like shit and then she's like oh i like you and will always well, like you i also you. think like at that point she kind of understands what he's going through yeah. like, by that by that ending sequence she's like oh you're dealing with this and this seems very difficult. So maybe I understand. I just like, thought, yeah, yeah, why you kind I of did theirs this. was a summer fling, and she understood that. And mm-hmm. like, I don't know, it didn't bother me because I felt like that that character mm-hmm. they seems to know each other every summer. Like yeah, when yeah, we yeah. When we first meet him, he's there, and he's like the usurper and whatever. They have their thing. Like I felt like their relationship existed before this summer. It will exist after. Mm-hmm. And this was just the summer where they became friends with benefits and like nothing yeah. really came of it. I, th- like, I think she was aware of the Oliver situation. That's what I'm. Yeah, I 100 percent think she was. And she's like, oh, man, you're what you're dealing with is like much worse than like, you know, you skipping out on our little fling, I guess. So that's how I read that whole thing, Jeff. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't get that, but fair enough. Like it is, I mean, it is it a consoling that... conversation she has with him because he's coming right. back from their little trip. And she's like, oh, man, like, yeah, you look heartbroken. And maybe she felt it, heartbroken, it, but yeah. This at every like turn, it, I mean, it, it is a movie that is entirely about uh, a boy being okay mm-hmm. after uh, not being able to be with uh, a person he likes. Yeah. It, it, uh, other than that, there is no, there are no stakes to this. There's no... There's no. Wow, I mean, I get what you're saying, but I you keep acting like that's no stakes. Like that's such a huge thing. Like your first heart, like your first love, your first heartbreak is such a huge thing. I don't like the idea of us reducing it because that's what this movie centers on. Like, yeah, it's what the movie centers on. Yeah, that's why the female characters don't have very much to do because this is chiefly a movie about these two men and also his father because his father can relate. And like, mm-hmm. that's fine. Like I said last week, like the Bechdel test is well and good as a way to discuss female roles, but also there's just a point where you don't really like it does it like these female characters did not need to be further fleshed out because their roles were their roles like he had this female friend and like if i feel like she's there because then we see if elio if, if oliver hadn't come this is what his summer would have been would right. be like fucking around with this girl and like really nothing would have changed for him it, it wouldn't have been an eye-opening experience because she's always there and she's lovely and she's beautiful and they have a good time together but it's not love mm-hmm. I mean, he's uh, he's also a virgin at the beginning of this movie, right? I think that's I think that so clearly stated. Like, and he, so him having sex with her is a pretty momentous moment, but maybe he didn't actually feel that because it doesn't seem like he responded in the way that he responded to Oliver for sure. Yeah, neither of them seem quite like yeah quaked like, by the we're, experience. We're teenagers. We're gonna, we're gonna do this, and that thing goes there, and that's what we do. Yeah. Right. I, I, I mean, even I don't think start... I think you guys are, are are minimizing that, and I think it's an interesting uh, thought experiment to say if Oliver isn't doesn't arrive at that house this summer, mm-hmm. what does what do the two of them too? Because he certainly seems pretty invested in her 
relate in her liking him like he takes her to that secret place and oh, yes yeah. it's not the it's not the love that he finds with Oliver mm-hmm. but I do think I do think it's a summer of uh flowering either way i think he's <laughs> sure, he's sure. discovering things about his life either way i don't think i don't think she's just an incidental road bump on his journey one that's thing I not noticed, what i said one thing i noticed too like a, just at the beginning of the movie like she's clearly way more into him like that's the thing like she's yeah. she's throwing all these signals at him uh early on uh trying to hang out with him trying to do things like socially with him and you know he is this kid stuck in his own head and doesn't know what he wants yet so yeah it's tough it's just tough for her to even connect to him i think ultimately for me this is a movie based on a novel and i suspect Mm -hmm. i would have really enjoyed the novel uh because i'm inside the head of these characters and i don't think what i what i got from the movie didn't give me enough of a window into into their thoughts to sort of buy the the well the novel's entirely from Elio's point of view mm. but i'm sure we're inside his head right i'm sure we're, we're we understand yeah but his i mean i'm arguing that... that the movie is too well no clearly it's from his perspective i'm saying to explicitly have thoughts that i can read <laughs> i yeah. think uh it well, will conveys uh, you know has the benefit of actually understanding his thoughts and i just don't think right I don't know. I just didn't. Yeah, I just didn't get enough here for mm-hmm. for me. But that's, like, I'm glad like you guys just did. Like those moments, like it sounded like you felt the movie was really long and belabored in terms of trying to set up this relationship, but it never quite clicked for you. And I think, for me, it's it is one of those things where you look at those moments. You look at like the time you know they first meet and like the way Elio's kind of impressed by this you know young American's attitude. And the way he's so sure about everything, like it's, it is, it their whole budding relationship is a gradual thing, but I think like in those moments where we're just spending extended periods of time with them, we see it grow and we see it connect too. So, it's it is hard to tell without like getting you know inner monologues from Elio what's going on. But I think through the filmmaking, through the glances, and through what these characters are doing and how they talk to each other. I don't know. For me, it felt like I was feeling that connection there. And that's why we spent so much time doing it. Well, cool. Um, if you guys have anything else, I, 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 I'm sad that I did not get out of this <laughs> movie what that, you guys uh, did. keep the Army Hammer dancing gif handy. I feel like it is something I <laughs> yeah. use every day now. It is a very useful tool because uh, it applies to many sad. situations. There was a meme that happened when the first clip got released, and it was just the <laughs> Army Hammer dancer scene. And there was a Twitter account called Army Hammer Dancing yep. Too, yep. and it was my favorite thing because it was just that clip <laughs> set to every kind of different music, and it got uh, suspended for copyright Aww. infringement. <laughs> and I am super sad because it's still like I'm just like I'm hoping once the Oscars are over, they'll be just like fine, do whatever, because it is infinitely entertaining to watch him dance to different music. But mm. um. I mean, like the movie works for you or it doesn't. I mean, yeah. that's that's just the kind of way of romance movies. I thought that they did a really elegant job of capturing this whole story. I did want us to talk about the peach scene because it is such <laughs> yes. a defining moment of this. And I feel like it, it. we need to do it justice by discussing it. What are your thoughts on the peach scene? Peach scene, peach scene. I, <laughs> it is, uh, you know, uh, to me, like that is a moment where I knew the movie was really all about this kid and like there, there's like you know clearly we're thinking of american pie here we're thinking of this right. kid just like you know he doesn't know what to do himself but this is an american like gross high school comedy so you know he uses peach and he does his thing to me what's amazing about that scene though um 
I love the way it's shot, like the eroticism of the peach. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was all just really well done. But I think the moment where Oliver comes in and then kind of starts joking around about it. And then Elio just starts crying. And I found that really effective because this is a really funny moment. But there, it's like he had shame about what he did yeah. with this thing. And he didn't know what to do with it. And if you... You know, you, you talk to uh, little kids who don't know how to be embarrassed yet. I think you were talking about this, right? Uh, yeah, Christine, I have a niece that so whenever she's embarrassed, she yells, I'm scared. Don't look at me. Don't yeah. talk to me. Kids don't oh, know how to process so this, too. Like, it is him being ashamed of this thing that he did sexually and not knowing how to process it. So he just starts crying. And then Oliver's response to that, like that whole, we make fun of the scene, but I think it's ultimately like a really emotional scene. That no, I, I the love the scene. Those, yeah, characters. Yeah. Because it's like, I mean, I mean, the, you know, people like I think it's also people have been making jokes because mm-hmm. this was the same year we got uh, the girls trip scene yep. that involved a grapefruit. And I, but, I love like, that he called that out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, I like that it's, you know, it's a scene about him exploring his sexuality uh, in a way that is maybe not considered like kind of <laughs> less usual. Right. And uh, instead of teasing him about that, like Oliver embraces it mm-hmm. and um it's it is I was actually disappointed that he doesn't eat the peach because it felt like such <laughs> no because it felt like such a meaningful moment yeah, right yeah. like that's like it's him accepting him as he is and everything mm-hmm. apparently in the book he does eat the peach by the way I hear they um, shot both scenes or something like they're, they're oh, there's something going around it does it feels like that's less important than the response. it's a minor note yeah, but it's like yeah. it's the idea of it's a similar note of when 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 Elio cries to him and he, he comforts him, it's mm-hmm. this acceptance of someone that is, you know, a very yeah. also pivotal point of your sexual development when like you start kind of realizing what you like and what you don't like. And again, yeah. rejection is so terrifying in those moments. And that's what I think is so powerful in this film mm-hmm. is that it is so studded with moments where they could reject each other. And sometimes they do. And it makes, that's why like your argument about stakes just drives me crazy. Cause I feel like the stakes keep mounting every time because it is so hard to tell someone you like them. It is so hard to put yourself out there. Mm-hmm. And particularly in this circumstance where, you know, Oliver in particular is dealing with a lot of shame tied up with like that he is attracted to men and it's 1983. And, and I like that the movie doesn't get explicit with it, but just has this relationship that keeps kind of, they collide a lot before they finally crash into right. each other. Right. There, there's I, that uh, thing about uh, Oliver getting in an accident or getting hurt too. And I really wonder what mm-hmm. that was about. Like, it's never yeah. really explained, like, what happened. And, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, is it something that happened, like, because he was hanging out in that bar with the locals? I don't know. That's one of those things that remains an open question to me. I don't know if you guys had any ideas or noticed anything in the film. I honestly just thought he fell off a bike. But then I was like, how do you skin yourself there if you fall yeah. off a bike and you're wearing the shortest shorts in God's or yeah. God's creation? So, yeah, oh, that's yeah, a very good question. Think of that. you, you think he got attacked by those guys? I think he, something happened. Like something wow. happened, yeah. I didn't. I just took him at face value when he said I fell off the bike. But and you're right. He, it's he's much... really evasive about how he talks about it. So mm. yeah, there's a lot going on there. Huh. Interesting. Yep. Very good point. Well, that is our review of Call Me by Your Name. It is currently nominated as one of the best pictures of the year at the Academy Awards, and. Uh, yeah, we'd love to hear what you guys think about it. You can send emails to slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Talk about it uh, on the show post on slashfilm.com or in our Slack. We have a Slashfilm Slack now. Um, but before we wrap up, 
Christy Puchko, tell people where they can find more of your work online. Oh, I write all over. So if you want career highlights, go to decadentcriminals.com. Uh, there I have everything I'm doing. Uh, but you can keep up with me on Twitter at, uh, at Christy Puchko, K-R-I-S-T-Y-P-U-C-H-K-O. And I write every day at Pajiba, so come on by and check us out. Devendra Hardwar, how about you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter and at Devendra, and I write about techandgadget.com. And I am on Twitter at Jeff Kanata with two N's and one T. And I talk about video games on a show called DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I had a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. That's it for this week. Next week, are we doing Black Panther next week? Or are we doing Black Panther? Yeah. We're doing, uh, we'll be back talking fully about Black Panther. Dave Chen will return as well. Uh, until then, we're out.